Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. This is a podcast run by a team of people from different churches, all aiming to make gospel resources that are both accessible and applicable for everyday life. We do hope you stick around and subscribe to this channel as we're going to cover a range of topics in the coming months. And so we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to uh, this next installment in the conversation series. It's a series that has been well received so far and we're thankful for the feedback. Uh, So just continue to uh, listen and anything that has encouraged you, just let us know uh, because we love hearing that. But today I'm so thankful to be sat with uh, Di Hankey, uh, someone who I admire dearly, someone who's been involved in so many different things. And I think there's so much to glean uh, from your life uh, in pursuit of the gospel and in pursuit of uh, gospel renewal in so many communities uh, that I think is going to really bless people. So um, I want you to just briefly introduce yourself, where you're from, what pets you have, what your family life is like. Um, but also just briefly, man, like I was trying to list stuff that you've been involved with and there's literally quite a lot. So there's the obvious like church planting, there's entrepreneurial stuff, charity work, True MC, you was a rapper, <laughs> kids books and adults books, and there's not much you haven't done, um, but we'll get into that. Yeah. But uh, just before that, then if you to clarify, that's not adult books in the bad sense oh, of the true. word. It's adult books like books <laughs> for people who aren't children. Yeah, let's just make that very clear. <laughs> very true, bro. I think that's the innocence of my mind. That Amen. Across yeah. my mind. Bro. Yeah, it didn't sound good from where I was sitting, so I want to make sure that I don't oh, sound dodgy. Yeah, yeah fair. Um, Di, just introduce yourself then. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Di Hanky from Pontypool up in the uh, Gwent Valleys. That's where I was born. It's where I grew up. I'm now living in Cardiff uh, with my amazing wife, Michelle. God's blessed us with four children. Um, so going from the ages of uh, 14, 12, and then a pair of 10-year-olds who are twins, obviously. Uh, we, we live in inner city Cardiff in Adamsdown uh, with my dog, Jasper, who's a Sharpie. He's a legend. Uh, we've also got two rabbits, four chickens, and more stick insects than I can count because they keep breeding. So I probably hundreds <laughs> of stick insects. We keep finding them all over the house, man. So yeah, it's that's bit, crazy. Yeah, it's a little bit like Doctor Doolittle. Living on a farm in the city, I'm in the concrete you. jungle. Yeah, man, that's wild. Fair play. Um, and then best piece of advice you've ever been given, though. Yeah, I was trying to think what I would answer for that. Like, I mean, I've been given loads of kind of good advice, um, you know, uh, it, you know, in, in small and superficial ways, but. In all seriousness, I don't even know who it was gave me this advice, but whoever told me to read the Bible every day, even if you don't feel like it, that's probably the best advice I ever got given. Um, I think if you only read the Bible when you feel like it, then you're not going to read the Bible very often. But there are days where, because it's a discipline, like almost like militarily drilled into me, uh, I think that's been the best advice I've ever been given because I've met with God more times in his word, even when I wasn't ready for it or wasn't looking for it. Yeah, so that's the best advice I've ever been given. That's quality. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk early die then. What was it like growing up? You said you grew up in Pontypool. What was it like growing up? And then when did you become a Christian? So I was very privileged to have two parents who loved me. Um, they raised me to try to go to church because um, they were Christians. But they had. A, I was a very headstrong kid. Like I was. It was very clear to my parents from a young age that I was. 
I had a lot of anger. I don't even know why, but I was a very angry kid. Had a lot of rebellion. And I was the sort of kid where if you told me not to do something, I would do it. If you told me to do something, I wouldn't do it. And I think they realized quite early on that if they said to me, by the time I got to high school, by you know year seven, you've got to go to church twice on Sunday like they were doing, then I just wasn't going to have it. Um, and so they actually, and the same with the church youth club, um, by the time I got to high school, uh, they said to me, um, you know, you haven't got to go to the church youth club if you don't want to, uh, because I think they knew if they tried to force me to live like that, no, uh, then I, I would have rebelled against it. And that's hard. Like now I've got kids of my own. I know how hard that must have been. But I think they just knew me. I think they just understood what I was like. And I, so I, I did rebel. You know, I had no interest in God. Uh, I kind of believed, I believed in God. Uh, I had no reason not to believe in God. I found it harder to believe there wasn't a God than there was a God. But I certainly had no interest in having a relationship with God. I was just kind of very hedonistic, living my own life, doing my own thing. I was so full of myself, um, which is probably why I was so angry. Um, cause you know, I'm not that impressive. So I was probably quite angry with the person I was so obsessed with. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I was just very angry and, um, and very, um, bitter, twisted, just did a lot of stupid things growing up. A lot of teenagers do. And I haven't got the same excuse as some people. I had good parents. They were very gracious. My mother was, you know, the most patient person you could imagine. Didn't treat her well. Um, I remember like, you know, several different clear memories growing up. I remember the first, I, I remember robbing my church when I was like two, 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 two years old, robbing a Lego brick, then moving on to robbing Tesco's, like robbing a, a transformer toy I wanted from Tesco's when I was about seven or eight years old. And then robbing my own mother's like purse, do you know what I mean? When I was a teenager, like, and I, I, was, just, I was just angry and I was wrong and I did, I was deceitful and not a pleasant kid. At the age of 15, I got invited to a youth camp. Now, I didn't go to church youth club unless it was raining. If it wasn't raining, I'd be on the streets. But in the Pontypool, it, just, it rains quite often. So, like, you know, I was probably half time, you know, half the time that I was in the church youth club, and it was raining. When it wasn't raining, I was on the streets. And I remember this one time I went to the church youth club, and this this kid said, "Me, do you want to come to this camp in the summer?" And I was just like, "Well, what's there?" He said, "Well, you know, they do loads of sports, loads of activities." I was like, "I don't care. I live by Pontypool Leisure Centre, which is the best leisure centre in the UK. Why would I need to go to North Wales when I got like the leisure?" Um, he said, oh, there's girls. I said, all right, I'll go then. And so literally I went there just because he said there was girls going to be. That was the only reason I went. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't looking for salvation. I was looking for girls. Do you know what I mean? Um, but there's just this old guy, Owen Jones, right? He was a preacher there. He must be in his, in his 50s or 60s. Not cool. No offense. Mm -hmm. But just faithfully teach, uh, taught the Bible, preached it every day. And it was like, you know, breakfast then Bible, then afternoon, then Bible, then, just, then you have an evening thing, then you discuss the Bible, and it's just like, just Bible, Bible, Bible. And I just, I, I got backed into a corner. I remember even by the, I was, we arrived on a Saturday, by the Tuesday, I was so overwhelmed by my sin. I just had to get dealt with, like, I just did so many things out, you know, before going on that camp to try and, like, you know, forget about it, you know, just try and, like, you know, put my head on a pillow and think of a million things or watch telly till I fell asleep because I just didn't want to think about the sins that was in my life and the things I knew I'd done wrong. But on this camp, I just got proper smashed by it. Like, you know, God confronted me. You are a sinner. You are not right with me. And you are going to be, going, you're, you're going to go to hell if you don't sort this out. And this, this old dude, man, he just faithfully opened the Bible every day and pointed me to Jesus and just said, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he will take your sin and he will wash you clean. And he was raised back to life. And if you trust him, you can have a you know, new life, you know, a brand new start, brand new life. God will change you and he'll, he'll, he'll stick with you and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember on that Tuesday night sitting on a wall with my dorm officer, just sobbing my heart out, just crying. And I said, 
I need Jesus. Mm. And it was the most sincere thing. Man. And the reason I was crying, it was weird. I was crying because I was thinking of some of the sins that I knew I had, I had done and I, had to, I needed forgiveness for. And that's quite emotional because I'd done some bad things. But I was also crying because I genuinely felt like I was at my own funeral. I know it sounds weird, but it was like, I can't go back the same person. Mm. Like when I go back, that's a different person. Mm. And so it was almost like crying at my own. It's the weirdest thing, like looking back on it. It was like crying at my own graveside, saying goodbye. I was, like, I was deliberately saying goodbye to the old me. Like, we're done now. This is a new star. I'm, a, you know, I'm trusting Jesus, and I'm going to go all out for Jesus. And I flipping meant it, man. Like, you know, and I remember as I prayed, I just felt like this spiritual vacuum cleaner. Just go, and just suck all this guilt out of my life, man. I felt like I could float. I just felt like a clean on the inside. And enough, it's the best buzz I've ever had. That includes sex. It's the best buzz I've ever had was feeling forgiven that first time. Just feeling clean on the inside. I was like, wow. And he changed me, man. That's all mm. I can say. You know, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been perfect. Far from it since that day. But I honestly haven't looked back. That's 29 years ago now, believe it or not. Um, yeah, almost. This time it'll be 30 years ago. And he changed me. Mm. One of the things then about that, so you said like you felt clean like in that moment. What, did anything carry over like brokenness-wise? And what was the process of God rebuilding what was broken before? It's a great question. So some things change overnight. Like <laughs> even now I struggle with anger. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, you know, you don't want to, pull your car in front of me you know swerve it like you know I, I still have these issues which i'm dealing with before the lord so some there's a remnant of some of the things I'm, i think i'll deal with till the grave other things change overnight like you know just different desires i you know i no longer felt the need to swear no longer felt the need to be like you know uh, for people to be you know bigging me up all the time or wanting to be the center of attention although those things still um, you know raise their ugly heads but like that kind of started to, to break um the one thing which stalked me I had, this, you know, I had two years, I would say, maybe three, actually, two and a half years, where guilt stalked me. It's funny, like, because before I was a Christian, I was a corpse. I was dead. Mm -hmm. So although I, I knew, I, although I felt bad about stuff, it wasn't the same as feeling, like, bad when you, when you know God and you're daily pursuing holiness. When you pursue holiness and then Satan says, but you did this, mm -hmm. like, the, the guilt that I felt became really stark because it was almost like I could see that guilt now in full glorious technicolor. And I felt that for a couple of years, I didn't have an answer to it. It's like, I kind of believed in my head I was forgiven. But in my, it, it, I just, it didn't, like, I still would go to bed, like, was so grieved by some of the things I'd done in the past. And, you know, to a lesser degree in the present, but certainly in the past. Just things where, and Satan just knew what buttons to press. He knew what time to press those buttons as well. And I'd be like, just dropping off to sleep. And he'd be like, remember that? Remember that? And I went, I remember by the time I was um, 17, going on 18, I had a couple of years where I started to do my own editing. I was like... I know I'm forgiven. Like I can read Bible verses, but like, why don't I feel forgiven? And this one day, my, my 18th birthday, it was. Um, so 21st of October, whatever, you know, uh, 19, I can't, I, whenever it was. Yeah, uh, my, my, my 18th birthday, whatever, 18 from 76 is. I don't know, 90. Oh, my math is bad. 94, <laughs> man. I think it was 94. I think it was, yeah, 94. You anyway. me, we're not getting an answer. Yeah, yeah, it was 94. Um, like my friend, she, her family bought me a Bible for my birthday. For, for my birthday, I remember like uh, being in my car because I passed my driving test by then. That's why I know I was 18. And um, I remember like uh, I, she, she, I said say goodbye to her, and I was just you know in in a car with this Bible. I remember doing this thing where I was just like God, like I know I'm yours. I know I'm forgiven, 
but I don't feel forgiven. And I'm really struggling, like, I'm really hating these memories that keep plaguing me and keep haunting me. Like, how can you just, like, speak to me through, through the Bible right now? I just did this thing where I just opened the Bible on the first page and my eyes closed and then like looked at the page. And I looked down and it was like a top left-hand corner. So the first thing I read was Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your sins, your transgressions, for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And God just absolutely flooded my heart with grace, man. And he just said, die, I forgive you for my own sake. And as I've meditated on those on that verse regularly throughout my life ever since, what's blown my mind is this reality. God showed it to me so clearly that day and ever, and ever since that it wasn't for my sake he forgives me. He wasn't saying, I'll forgive you so you can sleep at night or I'll forgive you so you can feel better about yourself. He said, I'll forgive you for my sake. It gives me glory to forgive people like you. It gives me joy to forgive people like you. So if you don't want to receive my forgiveness, you are depriving me glory and joy. So you better receive my forgiveness because that way I get glory and I get joy. And I just remember thinking, wow, if that's how it is, then you can forgive me as much as you want. Yeah. If, if I give you props. <laughs> so yeah. uh, if, 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 I, if I give glory to you, then it would be wrong of me to in any way fail to receive and revel in that forgiveness. It's unreal. I think that's going to be so helpful for so many people. It changed my life, mate. Yeah. Genuinely, the one Bi- I say the one Bible verse, even more than whatever, like Owen Jones, the dude was, you know, the old guy was preaching. I can't tell you what he was preaching on, but that verse I remember. I remember clearly the day that God just went smash, and uh, to this day, Satan, like it's, it's basically it just it just put blanks in Satan's clip. That's mm. all it did. So the devil's like bam, 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 bam. It's just like I'm what. He says, you did this. I know, I'm forgiven. You mm. did this. I know, I'm forgiven. That one's really bad, isn't it? Yeah, that means that Jesus is really gracious. What else mm. you got? What, what else are you going to pin on me? And I'll show you that Jesus pinned it to the cross. So what are you going to do? And you, it makes you bulletproof. And it's mad, isn't it? Because like, in, in regard to that, then, um, the devil comes at you with certain things, and you can turn it around to actually say, and I'm thankful that I'm forgiven for that. Totally. And actually, like, yeah. these have the opposite effect. It is, because see, the way we try and handle sin without Jesus, is you say, yeah, yeah, it was bad, but I, but I, I didn't know any better then, or th- that, was di- that was different then, or I know I'm bad, but so-and-so is so much worse than me. And we, and we, and we try and, or, you know, or we, we, we try and numb it with, like, with drugs or drink or whatever. We, we find different ways of managing our sin. Jesus is the only person who can say, Let's talk about how bad you really are. And then let's talk about how forgiven you can really be. And how much glory the Father gets when you just receive that forgiveness and revel in it. Like, literally, nothing can undo that. Mm-hmm. So it changed me, bro. 18 years old, that changed me hard. So yeah, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Um, and I guess it's, it's kind of obvious from that and from that story why he would then go on to uh, be a mission-focused like person um, because you've been battered by grace and it's the most mm. unreal high for you. Mm, it is. And so likewise, when we watch something that we think is great or we get involved in something that we think is great, we share. Um, for you then, I guess, a natural instinct is to share what you found. Yeah, uh, and I would say that I even had that before that Bible verse moment, almost as soon as I came home from that camp. Like, I don't think I'm massively gifted. I think, I, I, I think I'm passionate about a lot of things. I don't think I'm massively gifted in many things. I think I'm adequate in a lot of things. But one area where I'm gifted is I'm just chopsy. Like, I just speak 
and I'm, and I'm not shy, which can get me in a lot of trouble. But it's also, I think, what the thing that God has used me for most is just to communicate stuff to people. So I knew that I had to open my mouth and tell people the same message that had just completely turned my life upside down. So all I want to do is talk about Jesus, like, you know, when I come home from that camp. And so I do, you know, and I find it really hard being a Christian among my friends. So, like, you know, you talk about, you know, I know you're a Cardiff City fan. I remember, like, you know, all my mates were Cardiff City fans, and I go and watch Cardiff City with them, and they were all, like, you know, nuts. And I find it really hard to be a Christian among them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I remember, like, the first year, I just really struggled to be a Christian among them. But I still really wanted to tell people, and I would still be praying for them regularly, and I would still be, like, you know, try, uh, even in the youth club, I almost, like, became a kind of a, more involved in a leader capacity than a youth almost straight away because I just wanted to like tell people I remember saying the, the pastor in the church no one sings songs before the service I'm learning the guitar can I sing a few songs on the guitar and I just wanted to be telling people singing yeah, opening yeah. my mouth about Jesus and so there's a scripture though that hangs over my life in a good way which I would, I would probably cite as um, the kind of key missional scripture if you will again this is why like reading the Bible is so important all that you'll, you'll notice we have this conversation almost everything which I've done has got a biblical anchor point that I go back to and I can tell you. And this scripture, God gave me in that, probably in that first year that I became a Christian, um, certainly in that first season before I'd even you know, left home or anything. <clears throat> and it's Romans 15, verse 20, where Paul says to the Romans, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. Mm. I remember like when I read that, I, I just felt the Lord say, that's your ambition as well. Yeah. That's your job. Like You've got to preach the gospel where Christ isn't known. Mm. and he's not known in the valleys very well he's not known mm. among your circle of friends and you know the kind of places that i want you to go with the sorts of places where no one else is preaching the gospel mm. so i remember even 17 i was doing prison ministry do you know what i mean like mm. you know um there's a local prison uh oh, only an open prison in usk but i was going there doing bible studies there and i would just any opportunity i got to talk about jesus i wanted to talk about jesus because i felt that's the one thing i can do is just mouth off that's wicked that's like the description of I'm adequate, like, <laughs> at most things. Honestly. I'm just chopsy, bro. Literally, the amount of people that will listen to this and think, he's describing Reese. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, there, there's, mate, there's, there's no shame in that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I was, honestly, it's the same thing. I just think, I, yeah, I've never been clever. That's the, never been naturally clever at anything, really. I've just been willing to get dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And so, like, I wouldn't say I'm thick. And I know I'm not. And that'd be a stupid thing to say I'm thick. But I'm not academic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm intelligent in a different way. I'm creative. But I'm, so I'm not thick. But I'm not, like, you know, I was never going to do that well in school. But, you know, but, but, but I, was, I was chopsy. And I think Jesus wanted me to be chopsy so he could save me and make me a preacher. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's wicked. Um, so in that vein, then, um, what has that led you to? So let's go from kind of stuff straight away. I mean, you've already said like prison ministry, even said um, just like stuff with mates and whatever. Um, like let's open up the church planting side um, of your life then. Um, and what did the call to uh, move into a location and birth a church look like? What was the motivator for that? What was the sustainer for that? Mm. Um, but yeah, let's go straight in for like, what did the call look like for that initially? So there was a, a guy in Wrexham used to take a bunch of kids in his church to Word Alive when it was like part of Spring Harvest mm. over in Skegness. And I, because so, I was on these camps with these boys, I started like going to Word Alive with them. And I remember going to Word Alive the first year I went. It's a long time ago, man. That was mid 90s. And um, I remember seeing there was this guy who was going around the, uh, the thing, around the, the compound. 
on a skateboard just talking to random kids and it turned out that it was called detached youth work I think it's the first time I'd ever come across detached youth work where the, the whole job the whole point was not everybody wants to go into these meetings there's loads of kids would rather hang out smoke you know be on a pole and didn't want to go to the meetings I wanted to go to the meetings yeah because I just come to faith and I was genuinely interested but it was dozens if not hundreds of youth who were hanging about who weren't and I remember being really captivated by I want that guy's job because like He's getting to talk to everybody that doesn't want to be in a meeting. They want to be doing other worldly things that I've just been set free from. So I remember I, I got hooked up by Spring Harvest and Word Alive to do, to be one of their detached youth workers. So for a couple of years, two or three years, I was there, not just for Word Alive, but Spring Harvest as well, just skating around and talking to kids. Um, and that just made me like just really like love the idea about going to people where, you know, who were outside. Um, and I, yeah, and I remember then I, was, I came to Cardiff as a student and I tried a church. I, I don't want to say which church it was, um, but I, I, I tried going to a church. I wanted to be part of a smaller church, not, not a big church initially, because I feel like you know family is, is much easier to cultivate. And I wanted that. I didn't want to be part of a big, cool thing on that finish. I wanted to be around people mm. uh, in a kind of meaningful way. But it was, and it was a church on a council estate. And I came back from this, this uh, Word Alive, and I was like, right, I want to go and talk to the kids on this estate. It's a rough estate. I want to go to the kids on this estate and tell them about Jesus. And I remember speaking to the pastor. I said, I want to go out and tell people. And he was like, oh, you can't do that. I was like, what do you mean I can't do that? He said, you know, every time we try and engage young people on this estate, they smash the windows of the church and they retaliate and it scares the old people. So we, we, we need to leave them alone. I was like, no, we can't leave them alone. I, I'm, not in, I'm not offering to bring them in the building. I'll go out there and just hang out with them. No, no, you can't. You know, we're, we're not going to sanction you doing that. And I remember like, I was like, flip, I can't stay part of this church in because like, I can't be part of a church just happy to keep everybody inside okay and know there's like people outside mm. who smash windows but who don't know Jesus. Mm. So I, it's, it's the only time I've ever left a church with any sense of real sadness, you mm. know, and I was just like, I've got, I've got to go. Like, and I wrote him a letter, a loving letter. I was very grateful to him for the, you know, the, the, the few months of ministry he'd given me. But I was like, I've got to go be part of a church. It's going to have a heart for the, those who are outside the church. So I went to Highfields. Mm. Peter Baker, who was the pastor there, he was, and he was just so like, accommodating like if you'd know me back then you wouldn't have taken a punt on me really you wouldn't have took me that seriously but he really did like he was like well if you want to do this then while you're you know a student get your degree and then we'll talk about um you know putting you to work in the community after that so i just started doing detached youth work for highfields for two or three years after graduating um and that was like they make those some wild years like so you probably know highfields church building yeah there's a room downstairs which, which before before they decorated it it was just like literally a, a shell a bomb site it was like all the ceiling tiles were gone there's you know paint hanging off the walls it was just dusty it was dank and we just set up a set of record decks in there i used to invite the local kids in off the off the estate and um you know we just nine o'clock till midnight we used to do like just dj nights like now i realize what a nightmare it was for the neighbors but um mm -hmm. back then it was great we had all the local druggies coming in and I knew, like, then, if I'm going to reach these kids, I've got to live among them. So I, li I lived on the same street as the underground. And that's when I got to see the best and the worst of what it means to be living in community. I was always available. I also had kids, like, you know, terrorizing me in the middle of the night mm -hmm. uh, because that's how it was. So, But I, 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 I think I was convicted that if Jesus was willing to put skin on and move into the neighborhood, I probably needed to do the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, th okay. that's been a conviction ever since, really. Fair no fair. Um, so in regards to like decision making itself then and saying like, am I within like the will of God in, in my decision making? What yeah. kind of do you look at for that? Like what, I guess potentially what mistakes, like if any, but like what mistakes, oh. what, what happened on that process of saying like kind of gun ho, like, yeah, we're going to go in. 
like there's people dying in these, in these streets. We need to go for it. Um, and so what like does the decision making process of saying, right, we're going to uproot and uh, church plant or we're going to uh, just get stuck in um, look like for you? Yeah, I think there is a huge difference between a burden and a call. You can feel burdened about a lot of things, but it doesn't necessitate a call. And a lot of people, that's where the real discernment needs to be made. You can feel burdened about things, and that, sh- and that will never take you any deeper than you pray about it, you give towards it, you encourage those who are doing it, but you, you, it's not going to mean like a, a major life shift. If it's a call, then there needs to be a sense of like, but if God says go, then you're going to go. I've always maintained for a long, long time now, like, you know, decades now, literally, there's four things that I think what, when, you, when you're trying to discern, is this a call of God that you need to have in your life? I don't think you have to have all four of them, but I think at least two of them you do. First one, I would say, is the scriptures. Are you in the scriptures? Are you looking at the Bible? Are you reading the Bible and asking God to speak to you? I believe that God can very clearly and very really speak to us through scriptures and give, you know, clear. Um, so like for me, like that scripture, which still hangs over my life now, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ wasn't known. Like, I regularly have to say, am I still being faithful to that? To me, like God just hit me with that. And, you know, I can't say that like, you know, what day he gave me that. But to me, that still is my thing so i think that are you opening the bible and saying god speak to me the danger of that if you if that's all you're doing is that you can then start to read your own desires into you know it's like i'll read the bible till i get one that says what i wanted to say so you you can't be doing that you can't be doing that but at the same time the the importance of having the scriptures speaking to you is that on the dark days when you are second guessing everything and going was i wrong was i right what am i even doing if you base your decisions to do something radical, like change your life direction, the life trajectory, or you know, up sticks and move, if you base that on a feeling, when it feels terrible, those good feelings, those good vibes are going to be so far in the past that you're not even going to remember what that felt like. But if the Bible said something to you then, it's still going to be saying it today. So it becomes a real anchor point. And I, can, I can't tell you how many times those anchor points have been really important in keeping me going. So there's the scriptures. Number two, and this is the other one which I think is crucial, is um, the local church. I, I've, I used to say it's got to be good counsel, good advice, and I would say that your advice can come from multiple sources, good godly parents, godly friends, you know, mentors from the past or whatever. But I don't think you can discern these sorts of things without the input of your local church. Uh, I think that it has to be um, the reason God's put shepherds over us for a reason. And I think that there has to be that sense of um, working it through with those who know you intimately, who know your good and your bad, they know your strengths and your weaknesses, um, and who are, who are going to work it through with you objectively um, from from a place of like knowing you. If you're not part of a local church, if you're not a committed part of a local church, I have a question whether you're you know going to even thrive. You know, there, is there a reason why you're not part of a local church? Is there a reason why you don't want to put yourself under any kind of leadership? I think that if you can't be under leadership, you certainly can't be over people. And I think that if you can't, you know, find yourself, you know, a place where you can just get stuck in and serve for a season, then you're going to struggle to, you know, to get stuck in and serve anywhere. So I think that having godly um, leaders over you uh, is really important. And godly brothers and sisters around you is not just the elders in a local church setting that can speak into your life. I truly believe there's just brothers and sisters as well. Like, you know, anyone can speak into your life, but the elders especially having that kind of final, final say, I think is really important. The other two, I think, are not as crucial, but I, I, I put them on the table for consideration. Number one is um, 
So like, I'll put it under the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is crucial, but sometimes like someone can speak a, a word to you, almost a kind of a, a prophetic word, which can just land. That doesn't always happen, and and they can get things wrong. So I, that's why I wouldn't put it as as centrally as the first two. But like, I think we need to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit can still speak to us in multiple ways. You know, not just through the scriptures and through, you know, your your local church leaders. And so we need to be open to that. And then fourthly is our circumstances. Sometimes a job offer or a relationship uh, or, you know, just an opportunity which presents itself could actually be God swinging wide the door. And I wouldn't just walk straight through it because of that circumstance. But like at the same time, if it's just like another part of like a jigsaw and the scriptures seem to be, you know, saying, yeah, that, you know, that, that that's not clearly you know wrong. And your church leaders have weighed it up with you and said, yeah, let's. Let, let's go for this. We think this is God as well. Those sorts of things can all be factored in. Do you know what I mean? So they're the four yeah. things I always put on the table when I'm trying to make decisions or help other people make those sorts of decisions. Oh, class. That in itself is <laughs> just have that as a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the trajectory for you of church planting, was it St. Melon, Pontypool, and then now Splot? Is that? I had a crazy story, man. Like, So I, I, I didn't plant into St. Melon's. I was part of a plant that had oh, already okay. been planted. And again, this is so important. Like this, is, this just backs up what I just said, right? I wanted to be part of, re, of a church in a rough community where I could really play a meaningful role, right? And there was a church, I'm not going to say which one, on another um, estate in Cardiff, not, not the one I said about earlier. And I'd heard that they were looking for people to help there. And they even, they, they'd even emailed Peter Baker um, saying, is there any, anybody in your church could help us in this really rough community? And PB brought me and said, what about this? I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I went and met with a pastor, and I thought, yeah, this, this is going to happen. And then let, me, let me tell you what happened. This is so important. I would, this is like, this is so God. My best mate, who's still my best mate now, um, who I should be having a, you know, having a chat with tonight, but I'm talking to you instead. Um, his dad heard that um, I was looking at doing this move to this community. And he's, he was a very, very well-respected evangelist in the city, uh, my mate's dad, Pete Hodge. Um, yeah. And Pete gave me a call. He said, Di, listen, I'm really concerned about this move that you're talking about. I said, why? He said, I know that pastor. There's been some really bad stuff that's gone down in his church. That guy's got some real deep bitterness issues. People have gone there, they, is, he, they've been eaten up and spat out the other end. I'm really concerned if at your age and your stage of ministry, I was like 21, 22, yeah. If you go and get stuck in and throw your lot in there, it's just going to destroy you. So if you really want to get stuck into council state ministry, my suggestion is you give my mate Paul Hulebeck in St. Melons a ring and see if, he, if, see if he can do any kind of work with you. And do you know what? I took his advice. Mm. And so that's why I think it's important to have godly counsel. You know, I ran that by PB as well and the others, and like they they endorsed my decision to go. And I got I met Paul, who you know is a Pentecostal church, theologically different to where I'm from. Yeah. Um, but the guy loved the poor, he loved the yeah. broken, he loved the marginalized. He was more passionate about those who weren't in church and those who who were. And I was there for I think it's seven years, six or seven years, just literally on the streets with the kids, working with young offenders, those at risk of offending, yeah. living in St. Melons. Um, that's where I got married and uh, you know started a family. But yes, yeah, so I wasn't part of the actual church planting team, but I was part of a very, very young, fledgling church. And I still, to this day, thank God for Pete Hodge's timely phone call. Yeah. 
So yeah, that was that. that uh, so sure. so went, went to St. Melons until the law called me back to the valleys, back to my hometown. There's a council estate up in Pontypool called Trevethin, and I just felt the Lord called me to go and start a church up there because mm. there wasn't one. Mm. So just did that, moved in with my missus and my one-year-old daughter at the time. She's 14 now. And we just started a church in my house. And, you know, uh, we, were there for, we were there for nine years. Mm. So one of the things I want to get into, I guess, the heart of or into the mind space of with this is like there's, in going to the, the hard places, going to the roughest places, to the unchurched places, brokenness is the story of many of these communities and we see it like man when we see it from a gospel perspective we see it just how much of an impact like the darkness and the brokenness of our world has um and when you come to a space then of saying right actually i'm, I'm living my life in a way that says i'm, I'm going after these people mm -hmm. how does that brokenness like affect you like how do you sustain like a healthy um walk with god as well as a very kind of like localized church uh, that is starting from ground zero. Um, what, like, man, the stories of people coming to Jesus must be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but then the brokenness as well must be really hard. And so let's talk about like, the highs and lows of that process. Yeah. Increasingly, it's clear that everyone's broken to me. Mm. Like, so it's, it'd be easy to think that people in more affluent communities, they're not as broken. I think actually the beauty of some of the communities that the Lord has called me to minister in is that people's brokenness is so surface level. It's not hard to like get yeah, true. through that. Yeah, you haven't got to go dig in for that. They just come and like sort of like just vomit it onto the table in front of you. It's like, there you go. That's me. It's like flipping heck. But that's better than sort of like, you know, trying to sort of like get people to own their sin or acknowledge there's any kind of issues at all. So everyone's broken. To me, the issue isn't how broken people are or aren't. The issue is like, why would I go there? Well, if it, if there's a church there, then I don't want to go yeah. because someone else is doing it. Like, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, but there's a reason why there's often not a church there, and that reason is because the kind of brokenness, the kind of depravity, and the kind of like you know service level, just like chaos, is the sort of stuff that people don't want to move in, don't want to live in. They certainly, they certainly don't want to raise children in. Yeah. And so those communities just get darker and darker. Um, and so like, and it is, it is, it's, it's brutal. It's horrible. And um, there, there's times where it's just the most depressing thing to just like, you know, just be surrounded by trouble and chaos and, um, you know, suicide, murder, drugs, uh, abuse, just, you just, 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 you know, blatant crime, illicit crime, just horrible things happening all the time. Yeah. So like that, that sort of stuff is, is heartbreaking, but like, even if I was from Buckingham Palace, right? Even if I lived with the Queen, me and her Madge, right? You know, we're kind of like, you know, room, you know, we're, we're, we're both living in the same, uh, you know, the, the same castle, the same palace. And I decide I'm going to move to a Valley's council estate instead. That is not even touching a step down next to what Jesus did to enter this world. Yeah. There's not one blade of grass in this world which wasn't like a total step into the brokenness um, for him. Even if he lived in the nicest part of the world next to like the kind of the courtroom of heaven. So if he was willing to take that step, there's nowhere that I should really be able to say, sorry, God, that place is a bit too dark or a bit too broken for me. That's not to say that all Christians are called to do that, but if God tells you to do it, then you do it and you count the cost. Again, let, letting the gospel be your motivating factor. He did this for me, so now I do this for him. Hmm. He took his cross up for me, now I take up my cross up for him. And as far as like doing it in a healthy way, you know, I, I have, I've struggled, man. Like I've had moments yeah. of deep, dark, you know, depression and moments of real kind of like, you know, just wanting to quit. I regularly wanted to quit, want to throw the towel in. I can't say I've done it super well. I don't think I'm the best person to speak on how to do it super well. 
I just think that God has kept me. He's been gracious to me. Mm -hmm. And that discipline of like daily being in the Bible is probably like, essentially, if, if, if you want to imagine being in a wilderness, but at least you've got a little bit of water every day, that those little droplets of water have probably been some of the main things that have kept me going. You see Jesus in his ministry, Mark chapter one, he went off to a, you know, a, a quiet place in the morning and prayed and spent time with his father because he knew he had ministry to do. And I think that there's a degree to which you just got to find time in the secret place and just make just make sure that you're not trying to do it in your own strength, but you're trying to you know draw on him. And even if it's just a snatch 10 minute Bible reading and prayer time in the morning, but like you know you're just saying that's 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 the water I'm, I got to gasp on that today because I got nothing else. Like and just just clinging to him that way, really. Mm. But the truth is, it's, it is horrible. But at the same time, it's real. And uh, and if it's hard for if it's hard for me, how how much harder must it be for those who are trapped in those communities yeah. have never lived in any other communities don't have an exit strategy don't have a plan b um you know and that's why for me even when i went back to the valleys i didn't want to leave pontypool until i knew there was a church that was going to stay there because yeah. what i didn't want to do is come do a couple of years of good stuff and then just like bog off <laughs> abandoned yeah and so god called me back to cardiff in 2012 it took four years of to, to get the right elders in place to lead the church before I was felt I could leave and come back to Cardiff. It took four years of like literal spade work mm. and a lot of difficult times, difficult moments as well. Mm. Um, before I felt I could come back to the sea. Mm. Um, one of the things you've written uh, in an article uh, was about church planting. Um, was so I'll, I'll just read this out to you, and then my question will be kind of what advice do you have for the next generation that are going to go into these spaces? Um, so about the ups and downs then of church planting. So I remember the first believer we baptized, but also the first one we, uh, who committed suicide. We've wept as rebels who became disciples, went on to become prodigals, then celebrated as the prodigals came home. We've witnessed glorious conversions and grievous desertions, beautiful weddings and bitter separations. We've raised leaders and lost leaders. We've been patted on the back and stabbed in the back, sometimes by the same people. There have been times where I've been so energized by God's work that I couldn't sleep, but also moments when I've been so depressed, so fearful and bereft of hope that I could barely crawl out of bed. So about that roller coaster, do you want to get off? Neither do I. For the glory of God, let's ride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so good. That's, that's weird. Do you know what's mad? As you read that, though, I can still remember the faces that were in my mind as I wrote those words. And that's really, really quite, you know, sad and and elating mm. all at the same time. Well, this is one of the things I think of is like, man, like brokenness and like the brokenness of the world becomes so much more real when you're alive to the gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. and you're alive to the power of Jesus and you're alive to the forgiveness of Jesus. And so, man, like we suddenly live in out of fulfillment, but like the story of so many people, the majority of our culture is a pursuit of fulfillment. And man, that's just an endless rat race to nowhere. Yeah. And it's like, it's cruel that they can't see that the wellspring of life is a free gift. And so uh, in regards to uh, like, definitely, I mean, that was the question of like brokenness. I think, yeah, it, like it leaves an imagery in your head. Like you see those moments and they're so real that they like, they're lasting for you. And so on the question of sustenance was really based on the fact that, yeah, it was so alive to what's so painful for so many people that how on earth do you carry on when you see that and it's such a weighty thing but um so within the vein of that then 
um, I want like two things. I really want like what things have stood out for you as like really great moments, um, really enjoyable things that you'd like love to celebrate what God has done. And then um, more based on then that one, what advice do you have for a generation of people looking at a, a life following Jesus? I mean, you can't beat lives changed, lives transformed by the gospel. Again, you know, again there's stories from back in St. Melons, back in Trevethin that still thrill me, uh, many that break my heart as well. I'll just be really honest with you as well. Like, the parable of the sower is in the Bible for our encouragement as much as it's in there for our instruction. So before I give you some of the good stories, mm. like 25% of the seed fell on good fell on good soil and produced fruit 75 percent didn't like that's a 20 so that's a like that's a 75 percent failure rate and mm-hmm. that's jesus telling that story yeah and so this is going to sound like a really terrible thing to say but i kind of expect quite a lot of what i do not to fit not to work yeah because i think jesus kind of like instructed us you know anybody who thinks that they've, they've found the kind of the, the silver bullet for fruitful ministry where like everyone gets saved and everyone gets like you know discipled and everyone like ends up like you know ch- you know living large for jesus all the way to heaven that's not what jesus said is going to happen it's going to be brutal so like those verses are there for our encouragement in a sense because like jesus said what's going to happen so i just want to make sure that i'm one of the 25 percent personally yeah and that you know before i start worrying about all the other stuff but yeah stories have changed lives i mean i'll give you one story and then you know, but this is one of several. And I, I got you know, ask me, ask me for heartbreaking stories. I've got plenty of those as well. But I'll give you an encouraging one because I'd be better in it for a podcast. Um, so like, I was in this. I went, but I moved back to the inner city to Adamsdown, and I was uh, involved in this little kind of like drop-in center for asylum seekers, and they were doing Bible studies in there, and then like sharing, and then sharing food with the asylum seekers. And I was there this one day, and there was these two women came in, and they were just they just looked so broken, man. They were just so wrecked, and the Lord just spoke to my heart and just said, literally, he just said to me, like, I, this, I believe that, you know, the Spirit does these things. He just said, you need to love these women well. That's what he said. They'd come from Syria. They'd walked from Syria from the war. ISIS had invaded their town in northern Syria, and they, it took them seven months to get to the UK. And they were physically wrecked, physically and mentally and emotionally traumatized. They... We, we invited them to our house for some food, started showing in front of my young children videos of machine guns, and we asked them to turn it off, like, because they were showing us this is our town, crying their eyes out, utterly traumatized. And then, um, but they came to faith. Yeah. The mother especially, man. Like, so I call her mama. She's the oldest person in our church, and she's like, because my, my mother's dead, so she's like my mama now. Uh, and I mm-hmm. believe the Lord's told me to love her like a mother. Um she came to church and when it was in my living room still. We've got a building now, but she came to church and it was in my living room one day. And um, she can't speak any English, but there was a guy there who had, who had um, a little bit of Arabic. So through this guy, she started to say that she'd had a dream that week. And in the dream, um, there had been heaven and hell. And there was a path to heaven and a path to hell. And Jesus was the path to heaven. So she was now following Jesus. And she basically, you know, started praying from that week forward, praying to um, Allah Yeshua Messiah, which is God Jesus Christ. And we baptized her in 2019 in the summer down the Gawa. And she's on a walk, so she has to get to the beach on this walker. Yeah, she's staggering along. She's so old, and she her body's so knackered from this thing. And we baptized this one guy. And then we're walking back, with you know, to the um, beach, 
and she's decided she wants to get baptized now. So she's just left her walker and she crawls on her hands and knees into the sea and in the small water and just threw herself backwards into the sea, not knowing that like we're meant to baptize her. Like she just threw herself back, but it was too shallow, so we had to drag her back and then baptize <laughs> her. And um, I've never seen anybody so desperate to get baptized and show the world that they belong to Jesus as mama did that day. And like when I think about her story, you know, she's lost two sons to ISIS. Um, air, air, sorry, one son to an air raid um, and one son was taken uh, and was uh, tortured and killed by the police somewhere in Syria. Um, she's left family behind. You know, her, she, she'll, she'll never go back to Syria. Even talked about Syria. She still weeps. She still cries. But she loves Jesus so much, man. And so like that sort mm -hmm. of thing, do you know what I mean? That'll, that'll keep you going for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, others who've come to Christ from like, you know, human trafficking backgrounds as well, you know, and we've mm -hmm. had the privilege of baptizing and stuff. You know, it's just been really cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's unreal. That's a heck of a story, isn't it? It is. And, and, you know, but then there's also like, you know, the other stories where people come and then get saved and then disappear and, you know, you, you never see them again or they come and they just struggle to live for Jesus and you're doing your best to try and help them and to try and disciple them and it just doesn't seem to, you know, What's your encouragement for those moments then of like, man, that's, that's painful to see people walk away. Um, and you mentioned prodigals walking away and prodigals coming home, but like the prodigals walk away yeah. and in that process, like it could be a long old process yeah. before people come back. Yeah. John so 6, mate. John 6. Jesus manages to grow a church from 12 to 5,012 and go back to 12 by the end of the same chapter. So like, He's got there's 12 disciples they feed everyone mm. and then the next day you know the crowds follow him mm. and then he starts busting lyrics about um you know you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood literally eat me drink me and they're like this is a hard saying who can accept it and they all just like leg it one by one they disappear because they can't handle the the cost of what it means to follow jesus and by the end there's just the disciples left again mm. and jesus says to him you go in as well and just the fact that jesus has to ask that question you go in as well and they're like, and Simon Peter's like, you know, where would we go? Like, you have the words of eternal life. And I find that, I find, I find chapters like that and chapters like the power of the soul are really encouraging. Because yeah, yeah. if Jesus got abandoned, people are going to abandon Jesus. Like, that's, the, that's how it is. And I pursue them. I love them. I pray for them. I never write them off. But I just want to always make sure that I'm saying I've got nowhere else to go. You've got the words of eternal life. So even if, if at the end of like my, my ministry, I'm the only person left here, like hanging on every word, I'm going to make sure that's me. Mm. Yeah. And anyone else that you want to add to that, Lord, then that's up to you. But like, I'm going to like live like the only, f the only food worth eating is the gospel of Jesus. Mm. I'm going to feast on it until I'm dead. Mm. And if anyone else wants to stick around and join me, that's fine. But I ain't going anywhere because yeah. everything else is pig swill as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And I think I just want to, I, I just want to live a life that says to Jesus, well, I'm staying with you. Mm. You know, and I've, I've been through you know, a really horrendous like last six months, you know, and, in the middle of all, I read that beautiful book, um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, where it just, it just unpacks like Jesus' invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Mm. And it's just like, that's where I want to stay. Yeah, it breaks my heart that other people find better things to live for than Jesus, but I just refuse to. I mm. refuse to find something better to live for than Jesus. And, you know, I, I, want, I want that to be like the, the legacy of my life is that I just hung mm. on his every word until... I saw him face to face. Mm. And if others want to hang on with me, then great. We, we'll, we'll hang on together. But I am, I'm not letting go. That's, that was both questions in one, I think. Was it? Yeah. Because, oh. man, there was, there was good advice. That's like there. putting two, two pool balls with one shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
know exactly that. Um, yeah, because the, the question was, man, encouragement, and then yeah, obviously what advice, and yeah, both of those was in there. Um, the advice came from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I want to come into uh, Manumit then, and man, like, I think it's so cool that you invested in two things simultaneously because um, that's not the call for everyone to, to both lead a church and to be an entrepreneur, no. to be involved in charity work and whatever, but um, you are. And so let's talk Manumit, like what is it and where did that come from? Yeah, so the reason I came back to Cardiff was the Lord used the issue of the human trafficking to bring me back here to, to be involved in seeking to bring his light to shine on that issue in, in the city. So when I came back, um, I'd already started a prayer meeting, a monthly prayer meeting um, under the banner of Red Community. And that had become a kind of a, more of a kind of movement. And that's now a charity. And one of the projects that we set up as a charity was as a befriending project called Embrace, where we raise up men and women, primarily women, to befriend survivors of human trafficking in Cardiff and Newport and just offer them friendship, just like simple friendship, nothing more you know, than that. And early on in the project, back in 2016, we started to get people feeding back to us that some of the women that were being befriended, they really wanted to get back into work, but they'd be, they were just so traumatized by what they'd been through that the idea of a nine to five, four, five day a week job was a bit much. So could we as a charity do anything to help integrate survivors of trafficking back into work? So we tossed around the idea as trustees and I'd, I'd really want to set up a cafe. I thought, you know, I had this dream ticket. I'd, e I'd even been talking to Starbucks about, you know, training survivors and getting them certified. Um, but I didn't go anywhere, but, you know, I had quite a few good chats with them about it. But um, what I did have was um, a trustee who said, that's not a good idea, Di. Again, having good counsel around you. And, he's r and he was right. He said, that's a really socially demanding environment to put somebody in if they're like, yeah. If you know that could really trigger yeah, them, yeah, you know, if you know, tr trigger them if they've been through trauma at the hands of like you know men especially, and maybe even a former customer or someone could walk in. Mm. Who knows? That's a very public forum. So I was like, yeah, that's probably a legit point. And then he says, so why don't you try coffee roasting instead? I was like, well, what, how does that work? Because I had no, I got no background in coffee apart from drinking it. And he just said, well, you can do it in a much more manageable environment. You get an industrial unit with no windows, just like set it up however you want it. It's safe. It's secure. It's secluded. And you just do your thing. Roast coffee is quite niche. There's not lots of people doing it in Cardiff. So I just said, okay, well, let's have an explore on that. And I pushed a few doors. Uh, there's a guy uh, who, um, who's a friend in uh, the Vale of Glamorgan who had a coffee roaster that was in his shed, didn't have anywhere to put it, but he wanted to roast coffee for his coffee shop. And we, had, we, we managed to get an amazing building, proper cheap in my community in Splot. And so we just said, look, we'll, we'll get, let you use the building for free. Do you want to put your roaster in there? You let us use that for free. He said, yeah. So we just got it going. And uh, that was in 2017 we started. And started to employ just a handful of survivors of trafficking. You know, it's never been more than four people at any one time working for us. But just started roasting specialty coffee, man, uh, with the pure goal of trying to help rebuild confidence and you know, get people upskilled. But just feeling that they, they can achieve something, they can log on, they can do a day shift, and they can go home and feel like they've done a good day shift, you know, and then mm. help them to know what, what's next for them. So that's mm. literally what it is. I'm only doing it because I really feel that's what God told me to do. Mm. If God told me to stop it, I'd stop it. I, you know, yeah. People talk about Manumit all the time, and this podcast has been a real blessing for me because he wanted to talk about Jesus and the gospel more than the coffee business. And that's my passion is, is, is um, Jesus yeah. and the gospel. The coffee business is just an expression of that. 
and I love it. I feel so honored. My friend Nick, who I run it with, he's a you know just, he's become a really really close friend, and I love working with him, and I love um, you know what God has used us together to build, and we really complement each other as like business partners. Mm. But you know, I'll probably stop doing coffee a lot sooner than I stop chops enough about Jesus. Yeah. And so you know, it is what it is right now. It's beautiful, and uh, you know we've seen some amazing things happen and. You know, we sold a lot of coffee as well. And we probably got, you know, better at it as the years have, have ticked by. But there's more in my ministry than than Manumit. But mm. it's a, during a pandemic, especially, it's been a real glorious distraction. The mad thing is it was deemed an essential, essential food item. So we were able to keep going and keep working. Oh, bro, it's so essential. It's so, it's so <laughs> essential. <laughs> it's so essential. This planet runs on Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. So, like, it was like, it, but, like, especially in the first lockdown where everybody was just, like, stuck in their houses, I felt quite spoiled being there three days a week. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just like roasting yeah. coffee and being with people and with social distance, we've got masks on, it's weird, like, but we were still with people. Mm. And it, it created, especially when my, when my church couldn't meet. I couldn't meet in church, but I could be with my people in, uh, mm. in, in Manumit. So that was cool. Mm. Well, like, on, on regards to, like, I felt the same about being thankful to still be able to work. So I was only furloughed for like a month, but I'm in construction. Um, and so that's deemed essential as well. So mm. I've still been able to travel to even different places and yeah. be cautious when back in the office. So it's the weirdest thing in pandemic season to still be allowed. It to is totally. Things. I feel guilty sometimes as well. Yeah, legit. But not too guilty. <laughs> Just a little yeah, bit guilty. I receive the blessing of being able Amen. to work and do it. But I mean, on that note, like there's, I've actually noticed from so different partners, websites and stuff, there's a lot of construction businesses and industries now that have a, a human trafficking statement, um, statement yeah, totally. yeah, on their stuff because yeah. it's, it's rife in, in construction massively it's, i mean construction is huge mate so and, and in uh, agriculture yeah and even in like you know i mean th one of the guys who used to work for us mate he was trafficked into the uk from a, from a european country he was working in a factory in i think it's north england somewhere right alongside other people that weren't trafficked the only difference was he was he was brought in they took his bank card off him as soon as he came so they just had access. So he was working a normal shift, getting paid the right amount of money, but yeah. they had his card. Yeah. And he was being kept in a cupboard. Like he was being locked in a cupboard and, um, you know, beaten on a regular basis and told if you tell anyone, then you're dead. So he was just working alongside everyone else, like probably chatting on the factory line, knowing full well that if he told anyone what happened to him, he was going to get like, you know, done. And the whole time he didn't see, he never saw a penny of it. Mm. There's like, there's a lot of stories with them. Um there's like there's a whole thing now like uh for construction and like human trafficking one of the videos is pretty much carbon copies like a whole group of people and they was above a pub like mm. when it was trafficked back yeah. like they were forced through the like fire escape of like a pub yeah yeah and then just forced upstairs and like couldn't escape like it's actually crazy that's one of the brokennesses though this the anti especially the human trafficking stuff the, the modern slavery stuff which i have generally really hard to mm. sort of you know nothing's made me cry like like this issue yeah you know, I, I, I wish I could, cr and this sounds terrible to say, I probably cried more over that than I have even over like the lostness of the loss sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not happy about that. But just the, you know, when you're just confronted with the physical reality, it's just, it's just horrendous. So this comes into the question that I've got on this of why pursue justice? Like what's the godly response of pursuing justice and being active in it as well? Um, and like that's intrinsically linked. Yeah, obviously to your charity and to the work of Manumit is that you're pursuing godly justice. But what's the alternative? Yeah, there is no alternative. Like when you know stuff's happening, mm. how can you not yeah. get involved? Now, not everyone is called to get involved in every issue. I believe before God, I've been obedient 
to be a mouthpiece for this particular issue. Mm. But there's bare other issues, yeah. justice issues, where I'm not as vocal, persecuted church, racial injustice, mm. you know, the way that women are treated in uh, some countries, even in this country, mm. um, you know, the, the ex-offenders, homelessness, um, all kinds of issues, you know, poverty, you know, in, in our council estates. I'm not as vocal on those things now as I have been in the past, but right now it's the issue of modern slavery and human trafficking. But it's just like, if God pricks your conscience on it, yeah. you know, be close enough and obedient enough to like, you know, and for me, like the thing which, the, the reason that I don't get off that roller coaster you read about earlier is simply this, right? God told me to get on it. Mm. And I just think that like, if I, if I say, oh, I'm done now, I'm actually like, I don't, don't even know if this is good theology. Maybe one of like, you know, maybe someone who hears this can let, get in touch with me, let me know if this is good theology or not. But I'm actually quite scared of what would become of my life if I deliberately stepped away from what I know God has told me to do. Mm. Like it didn't end too well for Jonah. <laughs> and like, and you know, I, I know what God's told me to do. And I know his voice. I walk with him and I pray to him. And even in my bleakest, darkest moments, I've never had to pray and say, God, I know I'm not where I should be right now, but blah. Normally it's like, God, why have you got me here? This is really hard, but blah. Like, and I think that I just don't want to be guilty of knowing what God has told me to do, but choosing to like tap out. I'd rather just get the snot kicked out of me and even die knowing that I stay doing what he told me to do and say, oh, this is hard. I'll find something else to do. I don't think I'll have the same blessing of God on my life and nor of my family. That's what I, that, that's how I feel. And so I just stick it out because mm. the alternative is horrendous to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd rather suffer with Christ than prosper without him. Mm. That's how I put it. Mm. And I think that like, what our world views as prosperity is whack next to the prosperity that I got coming when I crossed that finish line and he hands me a crown and says, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter into your, the master's rest. And I'll be like, flipping heck, this is better than anything the world had to offer. Yeah. Let's bug. Forever. Forever. And then I'm not going to have to worry about it, but until then, I, I know I've got a job to do. And I find it a really hard job. And there are days where I wish it wasn't my job. There are days where I wish I could actually close my eyes and close and like close my kind of my heart to some of the issues that I find, you know, horrendous, but I can't, he won't let me because I walk with him. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I want to home in on the fact that uh, the issue of human trafficking is something massive. And I would imagine is overwhelming for absolutely everyone who ever hears about it the stats that come out are so overwhelming mm. and you can't picture the numbers. Yeah. Same as then, uh, starting a business is mostly for most people overwhelming. Uh, that's an overwhelming experience of like, like figuring everything out, having never potentially done that before and whatever. So much of those two together, it's like a whole nother load of overwhelming that you're actively pursuing something as well as having to, you know, like a law-abiding business. Yeah. Um, but you decided even without kind of maybe even the relevant training or you said not even like trading <laughs> coffee you made a decision to say mm. this needs to happen yeah. and so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna yeah. do it yeah. like and i'm gonna do yeah. that with joy and so yeah. i just wonder kind of man how'd you go about that and like how'd you process that and how'd you step into that like genuinely bro i'm not qualified to do anything that i do right now i was laughing about this with someone the other day right so my degree which I got, I, I mean, I, so I graduated in 1999. So I haven't even had any qualifications of anything since the turn of the millennium, right? But in 99, I qualified with a degree in recreation and leisure. That's my degree, right? 
I'm not qualified to do Bible studies. I'm not qualified to preach sermons. I'm not qualified to like write books. I sucked at English, um, you know, in school. Um, I'm not qualified to like you know run a charity. I've got no business acumen. Got no business degree. And certainly with Manumit, on my own, I've got nothing. Right. So on the one hand, I probably shouldn't be doing half the things that I'm doing, but I believe I've done what God told me to do. And I'd rather give God my yes than give Him my list of excuses. That said, I didn't plant a church without wisdom and oversight from church leaders, right? I didn't do it as a maverick. I'm not, I, I come across like a maverick, but I'm not. I'm a man under, under authority and who's accountable, right? So I didn't plant a church without working that through with both the elders of Highfields Church, who are still my sending church, and also the elders of Hill City Church I was leading. I did it in partnership with all of those. So I did it with, you know, with many counselors wage war, is what the proverb says. Um, there's an old African proverb, which isn't a Bible scripture, but it's still quite cool, which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So, like, you need other voices. With a business, so, like, I'm the one, again, I'm the mouthy one of Manumit. I'm the one that does the social media. I'm the one that everyone wants to talk to about it. But I ain't going to lie to you, Nick, my business partner, if he hadn't been up for the challenge as well, it wouldn't exist. Mm. I, wouldn't even, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have known how to register us as a, with, with Company's House. I've, I, I couldn't do accounts if my life depended on it. Um, so the business side of the business, Nick's a retired businessman and he just knows his stuff. So it is a team approach. And so I needed him and I still need him massively and we need each other. And so I would say if somebody wants to like do a business or something, just don't feel you have to do it all on your own. There's wisdom in partnership or in like, you know, team. I think one of the worst things you can have in gospel ministry, uh, for sure, and possibly business as well, is, is that maverick kind of sense of I'll do it all myself. I'll be mm -hmm. the one that gets all the that does all the work and gets all the glory. That's dangerous, yeah. and that's not what I would endorse. Mm. Um, you know, Nick has been a godsend to me, and not just with the business, but like just with, with life stuff as well. He's just a wise person that just doesn't view the world like me. And I don't know if you're like this because you, you're similar to me in a lot of ways, yeah, mm -hmm. but. I actually unleash chaos when I start things. Like oh, I'm a, a I'm a I'm a ball of energy, and if you know, I, I've had to learn, especially with, with my wife, only to tell her maybe ten percent of what's in my head, <laughs> because she hasn't got the time or even like you know the the headspace to handle the other ninety percent. There's always things that I'm creating. Even now, like even now, there's books I want to write. I've not, I haven't told anybody about them. I'm writing poems. Nobody's ever read them. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inventing new business ideas that no one's yeah. ever heard about them. I, I'm constantly doing that all the time. Um, but I, I'm not going to do them on my own. So a, a lot of them are just on the shelf for like, either you know, open at the right time or just praise God that you put it on the shelf and left it there until you died because it was mm. never a good idea. You know, it was just a. It was just too much curry. I don't know, like too much cheese. Yeah. I no, I vibe that completely. Yeah. Oh man, it's it can be chaotic in my head as yeah. well at times. Yeah. Like it's crazy, isn't it? And yeah. then, man, that's the thing though to know which ones to go forward with. That's why you need a local church, man. Yeah. That's why you need brothers and sisters who can yeah. speak into your life, and you and you need to not only like have that as a kind of um, you know a token gesture. No, you actually need meaningful relationship where people can say, "Reese, no, that's stupid." Yeah. Or let's pray about that. Or I've got the same vibe. Let's go. Yeah. Um. You know. And so, and, and I thank God for Nick. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for the elders that I I have worked with and 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 work with now. Um. And for and for people like Pete Hodge. Do you know what I mean? Just people who will speak into your life. 
you can't do this Christian life, whether it's full-time pastoral ministry, whether it's just like working a job and being a faithful Christian, or if it's like, you know, doing rad things, like you're starting, you know, startups or whatever, you, you can't do it on your own. Mm. And um, it's dangerous to even try, to be honest with you. Because, yeah. I mean, there's two things going to happen. One is it's going to fail and you're going to just crash and there'll be, be no one to catch you. Or two is going to fly and you'll be the most proud, unusable, mm. flipping, you know, so-and-so because you think you're so amazing. Mm. You need something to keep you on the ground when it's uh, going well and somebody to keep your chin up when it's not. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really helpful advice. I wonder, um, on that note then, what would you say uh, regarding the fear that can strike when it's decision time of like, it's going to cost me like the moment I speak my mouth or like I speak what's in my head and say the idea and I'm going to be accountable for seeing it's like happen now because I've said it. I don't want to just like bottle it and just kind of walk away from it being like, oh, I was just scared to do it. Like that process of, it, it can be a fearful thing when ideas come and you've never seen something done before or you see a gap and you're like, I really feel like something needs to happen, but you just wait on it. And then suddenly someone else has done it and you're like, oh, like it did work. Like, what's the process of that like for you? For me, it's quite simple. Like, I'm just a lot more scared of, like, not having a go yeah. than yeah. having a go and failing. Yeah. And I couldn't live with myself if I really felt convicted of something that I should have done something. Yeah. And, like, the number of people who said to me stuff like, oh, I, I was going to set up a coffee business. And it's like, okay, well, why didn't you then? Yeah. You know, uh, they, they, they give you just a reason. They're all legit reasons. That's fine. But for me, with Manumit, because I knew, I, I knew that it was what God told me and Nick to do. I just couldn't have like you know slept easy knowing that I didn't at least have a go. And I just think that the fear of failure is actually tied to the fear of man. And who cares if you look stupid? Yeah. Like, don't do something that's gonna like be dangerous for other people or dangerous for yourself in a in a sense of like you know you could actually like end up in trouble or you know dead. Um. And don't do something which is going to let people down um, unnecessarily. But at the same time, don't allow failure to cripple you. Because like, you know, a billion good ideas have happened. Or sorry, a billion good inventions have happened off the back of like, you know, a billion failures. Like, you know, there needs to be that sense of like entrepreneurialism, having a go, you know, um, just not, not being afraid and I think again that's another thing which is part of God's grace me I don't care what people think about me anymore like I used to massively care about that God's and over the years God's really broken that in me I, I don't care like I know there's people think I'm an idiot in 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 the coffee industry I know I'm not you know like you know ever going to be a respected person in the coffee industry I'm just a, I'm just just a do-gooder to a lot of people in the coffee mm. industry I don't I, I don't care like the I'm so vocal about Jesus I'm vocal about the gospel heaven, hell, sin, redemption, the cross, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, people aren't going to like that message. And, you know, so all of those things, you have to learn how to not fear what man thinks of you if you're going to be faithful. Mm. And so, it, trust me, it's a lot harder to look someone in the eye and tell them you need to you know, respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ or you're going to die in your sins. That's harder to me than starting a business and it might fail. Yeah. You know, so I just got to get over myself full stop. Yeah. And then, you know, if he can give me victory in one of those areas, he'll give me victory in the other as well. But it's all tied to the fear of man, mm. which the only the only remedy to fear of man is having a greater fear, which is fear in God. Mm. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So uh, I guess I just want to be wise enough to fear him and then 
all the other stuff sort of finds its rightful place, you know? So for all desire for faithfulness, isn't it? And obedience. Yeah, totally. 100%, mate. Um, so I want to round up then with uh, just kind of the last two questions I've got then, um, which are around how's culture changed for you throughout the years, whether that be kind of like church culture um, or like the culture like on the street um, in regards to, I guess, like actually just life itself. What, what did you see at the start when you were like pioneering stuff? And because you're still pioneering, what, 25, 26, 27, however many years later, like what's changed in that process? What things do you think have become easier? What's been an encouragement? Uh, and what things are potentially harder? Um, I can rephrase it if you want. I think that like the culture has changed almost beyond recognition in some senses. Technology has done that. Like I don't know if you've ever seen that meme that went around a couple of years back of like, you know, back in the eighties, this is how you knew where your mates were. It's just like, like about twenty bikes dumped outside like yeah. someone's front door. Yeah. Like that is the world that I grew up in, genuinely, yeah. where like you just did things out and about with your friends, you know, like and you know, you weren't constantly gaming, you weren't constantly texting, you weren't constantly on your devices. I think that side of things has changed. You know, mm. pe- you know, and sadly, because of that, that has also like started to group people into different kind of groups. You know, the whole kind of like echo chambers that that's created. The the kind of the I I do genuinely fear for my or not fear for my children. I pity my children really. I think that it's just a rubbish way of doing like childhood, mm-hmm. digital and on screen and all that. And p- the pandemic hasn't helped. But interpersonal relationships are just so much harder now, um, and people don't know how it relates to other people. Young people even don't know how to relate to young people, but they certainly don't know how to relate to older people in the same way. They're just not in group, uh, in social context, group contexts. Even churches, like it, it makes me sad when I see churches that are like, oh, we're, we're a young person's church, or we're a church for just like you know this sort of person, um, or we're a church full of old people. Do you know what I mean? Like the church should be a family, and you know there needs to be like community, multiple community, community kind of points where. You, you learn how to have interaction with people. And I just think that's been really kind of stripped away and, you know, clubs getting shut down because they, they, you know, there was no money to run them, especially in some of the poorer communities. And the pub literally was like the last kind of bastion of like where community life happened. Mm. I think that's, that, that, that's been huge. And I don't actually think, I, although I, I'm, I'm present on Twitter, which I have a real love-hate relationship with, I, I wish I could live without Twitter. I really mm. do. I, you know, I, I think I will at some point just sack it off when it just gets too toxic. But, you know, so I, I know how to use Twitter, but it's the only social platform that I'm on now. And I don't, e- I don't even like that. I just like real friends. Mm. I, I like, you know, I, I like coffee shops and I like walking with people and I like looking someone in the eye. This is good, like we're having a conversation. But I think that there's a whole generation that's grown up and they just don't even know how to do that. Mm. And they don't know how to like be given an alternative kind of perspective as well. People are really bad at like no, that whole like cancel culture is you know on both sides of the arguments. No, if, if you don't like what people say, we just cancel them. Bam. Yeah. I think it's really hard for society to flourish. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, again, like back in and you know that, that the 90s was like proper hedonistic, but it was like also there was just a lot of kind of optimism back then. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's optimism. I think yeah. you know, especially your generation. There's just not that same sense of like, you know, we can make a difference, we can make a change. Yeah. I think people just like, you know, just almost like scared to make a difference and have a mm-hmm. go. There's that sense of it's going to fail anyway. And like, you know, we haven't got any of the money. All the older people, they, they've got the money and they've got the jobs and they've got the influence. What's the point? And there's just this kind of negativity. So we're just like, you know, I just don't think that was that was around when I was yeah. younger. Um, and I, and I'm, that makes me sad. And 
I want to make a better world for my children to grow up in. But I also believe that the the solution to all these things, to all problems, is is the gospel. Yeah. So it's not just I want to like you know help people have better social media habits. I want people mm-hmm. to meet Jesus and then for Jesus to take them on adventures, which break them out of their bubbles, which introduce them to people that they're not like, and mm-hmm. show and tells them that you you have to love them anyway, and you got to mm-hmm. reach them anyway, you got to you know serve them anyway. You know, following Jesus is the is the uh, literally the adventure that this generation is crying out for. They just don't know it. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I guess my final thing then for us to wrap up was yeah. just in regard to advice for being faithful servants and faithful followers of Jesus uh, in a culture that doesn't recognize Him. That's easy. Like it's you know it's, it's easy to say, hard to do. Yeah, cool. it's just like. Just don't ever take your eyes off Jesus. I'll read you a scripture. Um, just like I think would probably be the most helpful thing I can do for this point. All right. Hebrews 12. Um, totally unrehearsed. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you want to know how to like be faithful in this culture, there's just a couple of things in there. Number one is to believe that there is a race set out for you. There's a race set before us, and this culture isn't immune to that. If you're a Christian in this culture, there's still a race set before you. Yeah, you're you're not the one that's being con- condemned to, to, to just running like you know a rubbish leg. Like this is a leg that God has set out for you. So know that, and know that the only way you're going to be able to run that with with endurance is to fix your eyes on Jesus. So whatever it takes, don't get numb to Jesus. Don't get familiar with Jesus. Don't get flippant with Jesus. And then, um, not it, for me, it's the cross of Jesus that really captivates me. I never want to, I don't think the Christian must ever move beyond the cross of Jesus only go deeper into the cross of Jesus. The cost, the sacrifice, the love, the extent to which, you know, how far he's willing to go, um, the kind of people that he was willing to die for. Um, like, just don't ever, and maybe even make it your prayer, Lord Jesus, blow my mind of who you are again. Blow my mind of who, with what you've done for me again. Like who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is an inexhaustible treasure chest for us. And if we, if we just find anything else that will dazzle us more than the, God, the, the jewel of the gospel and the jewel of who Jesus is and what he's done, then we'll very quickly run out of energy because those jewels will very soon lose their glimmer. Yeah. But the gospel won't. Jesus is, is, is literally the answer. Now, that means every day getting up and reading the Bible, chasing him, pursuing him, wanting him, longing for him. Even in the Old Testament, even in Leviticus, where are you, Jesus? I want to find you. And just like make your life pursuing Jesus. He'll take you on mad adventures. He'll take you to places where it's painful, places where it's beautiful. He'll take you like you know to places that you never otherwise would have gone. He'll certainly get you off your backside watching box sets, though, for real. He'll mm. take you on a much better path than that. And then one day, who are you going to see when you do cross that finish line? It's Jesus. Amen. That's no real place to finish. Thank you so much, Di, uh, for, for taking the time out to come and share those It's a pleasure, things. man. Um, I'm so blessed by you. I said that at the start, and I just, yeah, I think for the generation of people that tune into this, it's such a helpful piece of advice. It's such a helpful life to learn from, uh, and you constantly point towards Jesus. And so, man, yeah, that for me uh, is obviously the most important thing. So, yeah, thank you very much. For any of you who've been listening, uh, we really appreciate that. Please do leave feedback. We love to hear that. Um, we've, we've had feedback for, for so many of the things, and it's such an encouragement, and we love to share that with the team as well. Um, so please do that. 
you can share this if you'd like, share it with friends that you think it would impact. Uh, and also just subscribe and follow uh, and sign up for the email updates as well. And we'll let you know when everything comes out. Uh, thank you very much, Di. You're welcome, mate. God bless you.